Well, hello and good day, marvelous human spectacle. How are you today? What a privilege and honor to be with you. Such a treat. We have a tremendous episode today. We have Dr. Bear Lando, and we are talking about C60, human optimization, and wellness. This is a very deep episode. We talk about a lot of things. Um, We talk about how nature provides the blueprints for everything, rethinking and redefining disease, the work of Walter Russell, the science behind C60. If you haven't heard about C60, check it out. It's a huge, huge, huge thing. Uh, We talk about the discovery of C60, the benefits of C60, um, how, what do we, why you need to be crystal clear on your goals, the greatness of Conor McGregor, um, why scientists protect the narrative of science rather than moving forward, the cosmic influence, the work of Henry David Thoreau, Thoreau the higher intelligence, uh, zoo hypothesis, dimensions versus octaves. So this is an incredible episode. I know you're going to enjoy it. Um, please, as you listen, take screenshots, share on Instagram, tag me at Matt Belair. You can tag um, Dr. Bear Lando also at at Alpha Vedic, I believe. Um, so check that out. It's in the show notes. It's Alpha Vedic, V E D I C. So check him out. He makes some really incredible stuff. You're going to see in the podcast, he's a really bright guy with so much to say, so much knowledge and information. This is an amazing episode. Um, so leave a review on iTunes. That really helps. I want to thank, uh, what do I got here? I want to thank so much shoeless doc because he left this one and it says a true gem in the sea of podcasts such a wealth of information from a diversity of remarkable guests and uh, delivered with heart no need to go elsewhere thanks matt well i appreciate those kind words and the support it means a lot um itunes reviews are pure gold so please take a moment to leave those and patreon um even if you toss a buck in the bucket it goes a such a long way go to patreon.com forward slash matt belair toss a buck in the bucket if you enjoy the program it helps immensely thank you to all of my patrons all of you guys talking about it around the water cooler and all the support for those of you guys who are interested in coaching and you're serious about leveling up transformation overcoming limiting beliefs um, discovering your life purpose your soul mission are learning the best tools and techniques around consciousness peak performance health wellness law of attraction uh, meditation 5d anything you hear out there um, that's what the show is about is exploring all those things and distilling them to what actually works separating the fluff from the things that work. So if you're interested in that, you want help for yourself or your organization, no matter where you are in the process, if you have no idea where to go, what your vision is, we have a starting point for that. And if you're already on your way and you're really looking for the best things to separate you from the top 1%, we have tools for that. So hit me up, mattbelair.com forward slash coaching or matt at zenathlete.com if you want training for you, your staff, or your organization. Love to help you out. Um, I think that wraps it up. Oh, uh, go sign up for the email list. That helps. Um, Check out procabulary.org. It is the best language program that I have ever heard. Um, They basically break down the science of language. I've done NLP programming, affirmations, all this different stuff. But the way the procabulary courses is put together, I learned so much. It's so simple, so easy, so unique. And if you go and use the code 
word magic. You'll get $100 off the program. I highly recommend it. It was designed and created by Mark England. He was on the podcast. If you go Mark England, Matt Belair, I think it's episode 97 or somewhere around there, but a really fantastic episode. Mark and I have kept in touch and uh, he's still doing some great things and I still believe in his course wholeheartedly. So check them out. They are today's sponsor. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Uh, I think that wraps it up. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Oh, do one nice thing for someone else today. If you want to support the show, that's the best thing you can do. One kind act. Even better, take the kindness challenge, three kind acts a day for a week. That's awesome. That's just being a good human being. Um, and then if you do that, you'll probably get a universal wink. Something weird will happen. Um, and let me know you took it. Let me know your experience. I've had some incredible feedback. So just let me know if you took the kindness challenge. Um, that's the best thing you can do to support the show. Okay, let's do it. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in that deep breath in through your nose. Hold your breath and now let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, empowerment, connection, confidence, energy, and ready to take on this incredible episode with Dr. Bear Lando. Hello and welcome to the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is the founder and formulator for Alpha Vedic and has traveled an eclectic path through athletics and academics in becoming a physician, kinesiologist, and functional movement specialist. He is a three-sport high school athlete and Division I scholarship football player acknowledged for maintaining a 4.0 GPA in pre-law and pre-med undergraduate studies while competitive powerlifting. He has an MS in social psychology MICP certification from Stanford Medical School with additional degrees in Oriental Medicine, Classical Homeopathy, Naturopathic Medicine, and Chiropractic. He is a social psychology instructor, paramedic firefighter, and owner-director of Integrative Medicine and Chief Clinician. He has a specialization in Biological Terrain Medicine, Clinical Kinesiology, Japanese Meridian Therapy, Endobiogenics, Functional Movement, craniopathy, and visceral manipulation. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bear Lando. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. You know, sometimes... Thank I you for that introduction. Yeah, sometimes I shorten bios, and I shorten it a little bit from where you got them. They're all, they're all recognized, accredited places, but I was like, you know what? You put in the work. You've, done, you've gotten all of those certifications and degrees. I'm going to read them out. As it, it got hard, you know, getting three quarters of the way through, but... Man, what a background. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, as we discussed briefly before we went on, that you're a little bit underground because um, your studies, I presume, have led to some very effective healing. And, and some of these things are healing things that, quote unquote, aren't supposed to be healed. And so had to be a little bit on the hush-hush, um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, and, uh, and what you're up to today. Well, first off, thank you, Matthew, for having me here. I'm uh, delighted because, uh, you know, recently I was made aware of your work and your site, and you've got all my favorite things all in one spot, uh, everything from athletics to spirituality and, and being on similar paths. Uh, as, 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 as soon as I saw you there, I knew you were a kindred spirit. So it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah, my bio that you read, that's um, 
all the the outer trappings that I I think people like to see these days because they like to see pieces of paper to legitimize somebody's background. But uh, between you and I, those are the least important things. Uh, uh, I think uh, life experience, uh, 40 years as a clinician, uh, um, you know, uh, being in athletics, martial arts, especially the eternal internal arts, uh, that's where you really get to put information to experience, which then becomes knowing because pieces of paper and book learning and, and, and schools, especially when a lot of the school that I had to go through just for my degrees, I ended up discarding. It was good because I learned terminology so that I could uh, communicate effectively with colleagues and, and clients and that sort of thing. But uh, the science and, and that sort of thing, as I was taught, uh, after the fact, I realized was really not what uh, I believed it to be initially, and and really the world doesn't work like that. And when you start learning things through the internal arts and 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 that sort of thing, then that becomes real knowledge because you you have to apply it in other ways, and then you have experiences, and and realize that no knowledge does not come from books. And uh, you're absolutely right uh, when, during my clinical experience, when we had a lot of experience uh, to help people with conditions that were considered irreversible and that sort of thing. And, you know, we had an international clientele and uh, uh, always practiced on private grounds. We had live-in units and a full multidisciplinary staff where we were able to help people with, with a lot of things. But... Um, what we learned along the way also is that our whole concept of disease is off in the first place. And in fact, there's been uh, brilliant people that uh, were my teachers that taught me a whole different taxonomy of pathology with the understanding that it's really not pathology, but actually biological mechanisms working in our favor. And when you know the why and how those mechanisms work, then you work with them. And you also, uh, the most important thing, you're free from the concepts of disease or the feeling that you're victimized uh, by some external condition because pathology or disease as we think of it is not, uh, it does not exist in nature as an entity. <laughs> uh, nature only has overriding patterns that provide the blueprints uh, for everything. And when we create, uh, self-create asymmetries in those patterns, because we have the free, uh, the volition to do the, those sorts of things, uh, that's the source of our problems. And then biology comes to our rescue and actually puts things right. But if you mistake it for something being wrong, then you're going to not be able to work with it effectively, and uh, at worst, you're also going to impede what nature is trying to do. So we had great success with a lot of people, thousands of people over a 40-year life uh, or a career span, um, and it was largely because we understood that disease does not exist the way we think it does, and a lot of the people that went full circle through different conditions and healed themselves because I can't heal somebody else. Nobody can heal another individual. I always shied away from that uh, 
you know, terminology healer because it's really a misnomer. Uh, somebody can only heal themselves because the forces that create the asymmetries, as, as we were mentioning, uh, can only come within, so they have to be fixed from within. And somebody outside of ourselves or some medium outside of ourselves can't do it. Uh, intelligent mediums and people can guide the process and facilitate, but they can't heal you. Um, and they're only going to be temporary and limited at best until we finally come to the understanding. And this is what I witness with many heroic people that beat all these uh, so-called incurable diseases because I watched them bravely going through processes uh, and understanding intuitively that the conventional treatments really weren't going to do it for them. And uh, so they stood on their own two feet. And uh, as a coach, I like to think of myself more as a coach, uh, you watch the light bulbs come on to, uh, in these people, and then they're free for, uh, forever. They aren't in remission. They're free. And much more important than being free from a so-called disease, uh, they're free from the fear and all the, uh, the mindsets that go along with the concepts of disease in the first place. Yeah, wow. Well, it seems like you're really bridging Eastern philosophy and Western medicine together with like biology and mindset and combining them so that people can have a new view, as you've said, about disease and what they're experiencing. And I think that that's really important. My background more, you know, looking at some of the work of like how the mind can cure different things. I definitely believe that we have the ability to cure whatever happens. Um, obviously, it doesn't happen 100%, but there are studies uh, through Dr. Joe Dispenza's work where people are curing incurable things just through their minds, just through the power of their own consciousness. Now, you take that with you know, more Eastern philosophies, perspectives, and modern medicine, and what it can do in biology with a deeper understanding. I imagine that you get profound results. So, what there's a lot of questions I want to ask you. Um, what would be the first step to healing, you think, for, for somebody who is experiencing some sort of, um, you know, really challenging illness, like one of the serious ones? And also, I know that you also have created and have C60, which is something that it, there's a lot of new information on. Uh, I was lucky enough to be connected with Max Champy from Live Longer Labs, a former NASA scientist. And uh, he was, he has C60 also. And he said, you know, not all of them are created the same, but that molecule, the C60 molecule is a very interesting and very important discovery. So I want to talk about that as well, because I only know a little bit from listening to him and some of the studies that have come out. But then I also, um, a few months later, heard of some other people putting out C60, but they didn't have the same results and claims and they went under a little bit of fire. So maybe you can explain that from your point of view, actually knowing uh, the biology and the science behind it. Sure. C60 is interesting because we can use it to illustrate a lot of the concepts uh, that would address some of your other questions. Uh, you know, we live in a thought-based universe. And there's one gentleman who, better than anybody I know, uh, bridged the gap between what we think of as metaphysics and science. And his name was Walter Russell. Now, Walter Russell... Um, not only discovered all the transuranium elements that he later gave to the scientific community and all the governments 
in the world. Uh, he lamented that decision later on, and and he was uh, friends with Tesla. In fact, uh, uh, there's uh, a, a number of communications between him and Tesla that uh, in the Walter Russell Institute, uh, the University of Philosophy of Science, that uh, you know are available and 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 uh, show a whole history that you know the public is not aware of. Uh, Walter Russell was held in great esteem by Tesla uh, because they both understood the same thing. Now, when we say the universe is a thought-based universe, there, Walter would explain it, and this is demonstrable, by the way, the more you dive down this rabbit hole and, and work with the science. And the science we would loosely call waveform mechanics. And that's, I would say at this point in my life, it's my greatest passion because it would explain everything and provide the solutions for every problem on this planet right now. So in reality, there's no substance in the universe. There's no motion. However, um, omnipresent, omniscient intelligence does exist, which has the ability to have ideas and then put those ideas into motion through desire and intent and that we could explain as far as the overriding uh, blueprint that we see that you know creates everything around us that we see in what a lot of us would actually consider a simulation and so as we have a thought as a sentient being which we are all individualizations, you know, a coordinate in the overall consciousness, if you want to think of it that way, uh, we have the ability to have ideas and thought. And if, uh, you know, if you think about it, if you just looked at all the creation on this planet, everything that's on it, all the civilizations that have come and gone, everything that exists presently, if there was never an idea, what would we have? We'd have a barren surface. So a lot of this is pretty common sense. Obviously, it all comes from blueprints provided by, by idea. But what Walter Russell, um, you know, further uh, helped us understand is how thought then becomes an electrical event and it becomes a polarization. And then the polarization, and the more you get into the physics of it, you could explain the geometric um, phenomena, the, uh, the lenses, the convexities and concavities and everything that bend those waveforms coming from the pure polarized thought. And, and every waveform has 18 dimensions that we have the ability to nuance in an unlimited amount of ways that create every variant uh, within our own personal realities as well as the collective reality. So we are constantly creating every single moment and we'll kind of draw that back to medicine in a moment but uh, let's just have a comment about c60 um, if you think about the waveform model of reality uh, then you look at the periodic table of elements in a much different way the periodic table of elements are not separate elements that are fixated forever as a separate distinct uh, personality in uh, the material world. What they are is uh, representations on a particular waveform 
that is always in transition. And when you take yourself out of the time-space continuum, which it's all of us have the ability to do that, then you would see that all of those elements will transition from one element to the other. And for instance, uh, 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 the elemental gold will become hydrogen and hydrogen will become carbon and so forth. Everything is cyclic. And in our mindset based on time and space, those changes that are happening all the time within the earth where those elements are in fact transitioning, um, it might take tens of thousands of years for one element to transition into another. Now, carbon-60, um, you know, I'd say the precursor of a mainstream understanding of carbon-60 might be, uh, you know, a good example of that would be with, uh, you might have heard of transitional elements uh, that some people call ORM, orbitally rearranged monatomic elements. Now, there is a soil scientist by the name of David Hudson, and I actually met with him oh, right after his finding where he discovered these elements in the soil and when he concentrated them uh, learned how to extract them out of the soil uh, he found that they were present in the soil all the time but when you concentrate them they didn't behave like other elements they could float they could do all sorts of weird stuff that uh, you know defied uh, you know what we think of as the law of physics but what they were in fact are these in between not isotopes that's a little bit of a different phenomena but these elements in between the other elements. Now, if you look at the first element that uh, on a polarization creates a, a, a coarse enough vibration that then registers, registers to our sensory apparatus, um, you know, uh, as far as phenomena that we would consider physical in this simulation, we would uh, understand that hydrogen is the first one that's around 30, 30 some odd degrees right off the horizon of a waveform. And then uh, all these things in between are become this element that's described in the elemental chart and all of them going up and down a waveform as we think about it. You know, when you see a waveform in a textbook, in nature, these waveforms are actually three-dimensional spirals forever moving in a forward direction. But um, right in the peak of the waveform is carbon. And... Uh, our simulation or reality, however you want to think of it, is made up of uh, nine different octaves, and each octave has different tonal fields. And so every element will jump through the octaves and through all the tonal fields of every octave, and each one of those tonal fields within the octaves is going to be one of the elements that we think of as the building blocks of materiality. Uh, you know, which isn't material at all. And as uh, some people have coined the term, the superstition of materialism. So carbon uh, is at 90 degrees perpendicular from the equator of a waveform. And stop me if this is getting too gobbledygooky, but it's really the technical science behind it. And um, now in oriental medicine, we would call that peak uh, that carbon represents in that waveform as absolute yang. So it's fun because right now a lot of the things that I originally learned way back in naturopathic college and, and so forth, uh, originally I, I embraced them and intuitively I felt there was something to it. 
but I didn't understand the physics of it at that time. So I had to just accept cultural terminologies that were appropriate for a different time in a different place. And I kind of liked uh, them because they were a little bit on the exotic side and everything. <laughs> that, was, that was fun. But I really wanted to understand more than just having metaphors that really didn't satisfy my left brain, uh, my more analytical side. And I think what Walter Russell provided was the missing link. Because when I was practicing, and I know you do the same, some of the internal arts and, and the martial arts, that sort of thing, and meditation practices and Qigong, um, your brain's always fighting with you. And you know your, your heart knows the truth, but then you have this little onboard navigation system that won't shut up. And so what Walter Russell did is he provided the analytical data that is very logical and demonstrable so that your, the analytical side can now uh, um, become one with the heart. And when I say heart, I mean the real uh, organ that should be considered our, our real brain. And of course, when I talk about heart and brain, I'm talking about more the emotional and mental plane, which is different than the physical organ, which is just kind of a piece of meat and a simulation or a fractal step down of what the mental plane represents. So that, that's not where thought and feeling resides, but they play a certain role in our physical simulation. So um, Walter Russell provided that link. So now we can be a little bit less schizophrenic and uh, you know, have a, a unification of heart and mind. And for me, it was very useful as a practitioner because I was able to take my old learning and, and the metaphors that I learned in, you know, studying the Sean Han Loon and, you know, which is a Bible of Chinese medicine and, 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 and some of the other, uh, you know, real scientific treaties from uh, other cultures, but, you know, using diff, uh, different terminologies. And now all of a sudden they made sense. And now when you can make sense and merge some of the good things that Western science has come up with, uh, now you can be more pragmatic in your clinical approach and you can get better results and you can have a, a nice merging of East and West and uh, have true integrative medicine. I really don't like the term alternative and a lot of alternative that's going on these days is what I would call green allopathy, uh, you know, which is um, doing things less toxically and talking about holistic concepts, which is a good step in the right direction. But then going back to waveform mechanics, if we don't understand that our own thought is the origin of everything in our reality without exception, and then we just go down to the half of the creation cycle that's compressing data that then is registered in our uh, you know, material senses, we're not gonna ever get off the wheel and we're just gonna trade one crutch for the other, although an alternative crutch absolutely has more of an ability to be less of a trap and eventually lead you to the next stepping stone. So carbon 60 is, uh, represents 
a very special form of carbon, a transitionary form, I believe. I, you know, this is just my belief system, but it's borne out in practical experience and research that it has very special effects, and it's why Buckminster Fuller was very excited about it when he made the original discovery. And um, it's a very young substance. And if you want to stay robust and vital in this simulation, then you want to have every cell of your body polarized, I mean, uh, maintaining a powerful electrical charge and when you take people that are on the ropes with uh, a condition as they think of it or uh, or or through the aging process uh, basically what's happening the cells of the body are like worn out batteries and that's why a lot of our therapies especially with chronic degenerative conditions uh, we take great lengths to repolarize the cells, and there's a number of ways to do that. And one of the ways is uh, with technologies. There are technologies now like pulsed electromagnetic frequencies that can very effectively repolarize the cells. And what that means on an electrical sense uh, is to uh, prolate. You know, you have uh, imagine a sphere that's created with electrical forces. You have an east-west uh, polarity and a north-south. Now, if you can maintain a positive outlook on life free of um, lower uh, energy center emotions and come from uh, doing everything you do with, uh, uh, in a state of unconditional love and do it uh, with a, uh, a joyous attitude, your souls will never depolarize and you, you'll even need less and less sleep and less and less food. So when we do things that we don't enjoy, when we don't uh, unconditionally love, then that is the real cause of sickness and the real cause of depolarization and that's what necessitates people like myself coming along and trying to coach people, not trying to, you know, I don't in any way try to be a, a spiritual guru or that kind of thing because that's over my pay grade. But what I do try to do is uh, coach people in lifestyle and with the techniques that I've learned so that they can regenerate their selves from the inside out uh, using mediums as long as possible but then not becoming dependent on them and realizing that they're the source in the first place. So that's why I believe, and, and you know, my mission statement from this point onward is to uh, hopefully imagine into existence uh, medical schools that are not teaching from a, a materialistic textbook, but uh, the perfect balance of teaching people, students from day one, how the universe really works, what our role in it really is, so that we never fall into these mindsets that create all, all of our problems in the first place. And again, C60 has, in my experience, um, the largest potential to kind of buoy up, to reprolate or, or repolarize the cells on 
that level to maintain the north-south axis, uh, which is straight vertical, and to maintain the nice spherical um, symmetries that will maintain uh, you know, robust health in a physical simulation. That's why carbon is the backbone of the particular octave that humanity is presently resides, which is that fifth octave. And of course, we have the ability to jump octaves whenever the light bulbs come on. And um, carbon-60 can help support that. But one danger, like with any other physical medium, is to start to think that that is going to be the end-all or the thing that's going to cure everybody. So carbon-60 can be a wonderful um, adjunct to our inner work and to help widen our window of opportunity until we do get the big idea and uh you know and, and then we can throw away the carbon 60 too now carbon 60 um uh is also uh you know if you take it back to a molecular level that most of the research has been confined to because that's, you know, chemical assays and laboratory experiments are pretty much operating on that level, which is fine. I, I love those kinds of studies myself, uh, even though they don't get into the waveform mechanics, which I believe are what we should really be paying attention to. They show that it, you know, lengthens uh, telomeres, uh, DNA and everything, and, and really kind of reverse a lot of the damage that's done by some of the things we're exposed to on the planet these days. And, uh, but uh, we, we really have to realize most of the damage that's done to our bodies, it really comes from our own belief systems. And we could take gallons of C60, and until we change our mind, um, you know, we're, we're going to be, you know, just temporary with our results. But it's a wonderful substance. The, the one, uh, I'll be quiet in a second, the, the, the last comment I'd make about C60 is that um, like any other medicine, when you get more advanced in your understanding of applying these things in a clinical setting, you always want to strive for balance. Now, as I already mentioned, C60 is very young. It's the most young substance on the periodic table. And therefore, you want to be judicious in its use and understand the ecosystem the, the body that you're giving it to so that you don't create an imbalance with just that alone. You want to take other measures that will uh, provide more of a balance to that absolute young waveform that C60 provides. Um, C60 gets a lot of good results in many people, and I even see it. My, my dog takes it, and, and you know, it's just done unbelievable things I could tell you about, and we all notice the results. And that's because most of us are depolarized and need repolarization. But it's still possible to create asymmetry with it if you don't know how to use it, especially in the long term. And if you're playing uh, herbal medicine and that sort of thing, you always want to make sure you're providing formulas that will be balanced so that you're not just getting temporary effects 
that in the long run might actually prove to be like whipping a tired horse and, uh, you know, only gets you so far. So like anything, uh, you're going to get more results with a tool uh, if, uh, if you're a skilled uh, in the use of that tool versus just saying, oh, this is going to fix everything. So, uh, please. Wow. Yeah, well, you covered a lot there. And I, I really appreciate you going deep into the scientific understanding because I know that uh, it's kind of came out of nowhere. You know, C60, I didn't hear about it at all. Then all of a sudden I started hearing about it all over the place. And uh, the only reference I really had was uh, Max Champ, who's a former NASA scientist. And mm -hmm. some of the studies he was sharing, I believe his mother had Alzheimer's. Is that what it was? And it was helping with Alzheimer's and really intense benefits. Uh, so, you know, and I think I really like your analogy of it is that you need to know how to use the tour and it's not the tool. It's not a cure-all there. There's a many other elements to health and understanding and vitality. And you've impressed upon a few times that thought is the godfather of, of this whole entire thing. If understanding your own consciousness, your own well-being, there's a lot of different ways that I want to go with this now that it's kind of opened up um, because you know, my quest, and I think yours too, I really, I look at your, your website and you're back in the day playing football, kicking butt, you're getting a 4.0 GPA while powerlifting. And so you and I have probably that same mindset is how do I use my body to the maximum ability? You know, when you're powerlifting is how do I lift one more pound? How do I lift 10 more pounds? What technique can I use to get better? And I think that in the personal development space, in the health space, it's like, how do we use what we know about consciousness in the world to create the most ideal life if you're on that route? Now, you can look at it from an entrepreneurship perspective where it's like make 10K a month or 30K or 50K or whatever it is, living your passion. Um, but it's really important you understand what that direction is. And a lot of people could use a little bit more time figuring out that direction, just taking time, contemplating what they would really want um, to have that total human experience like that peak experience because it's not just money that's going to be one part of it that's going to give you freedom there are all these different elements so what i want to throw back at you in, in a very convoluted way is if you can um talk a, a little bit about like you know some of the benefits you've seen using c60 because i i know for some people it'll be the first time of them hearing it so they have no idea what it is um some of the benefits and, and compelling research that you've seen um, two, you talked about the strategies and techniques for overall health. So I'm just curious, what, what do you recommend for total human optimization to live as vibrantly as possible? Some of the things that you teach, because I know that there's one side that there's health and I want to kind of chat about that a little bit if you're really bunged up and you want to come over to the health side. But I'm curious for myself, people are going into, you know, uh, microdosing and psychedelics and things like that. So I was curious if you could touch on all of that to the best of your ability. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I, I just throw it at you and then see what you can pick out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all my favorite stuff. Um, you know, I was telling you earlier before we went live here that, um, Basically, I've spent most of my life in dojos and gyms, and uh, and I really think I've learned more there than in all the schools I've attended. And that's because when you use your own body in a very and really challenge it, um, 
you learn about potentials that physically inactive people never get to experience. You know, it's funny, uh, in my final years of football, I was, I always approached every season very scientifically, you know, and, uh, my buddies on the team were, you know, just off doing what college kids do. I was in the library, you know, studying up on anatomy, physiology. I was reading the uh, nutrition books put out by the the, the very first uh, nature paths of the day that were popular. You know, this is back in the 60s and early 70s. Uh, Pavo Rolas and, and all those guys, the pioneers, Paul C. Bragg. And, uh, you know, I was really intrigued by all this, but I would put everything on paper because I really understood that the power of just kind of getting it down into a very concise thought form for me, you know, I learned early on seemed to really work. And a curious thing happened, you know, as I approached every season all the way through high school and, and, and college. Uh, and I did my preseason training for whatever sport, and I'd always have predictable results and kind of carry the more momentum going forward to the following year. But then uh, as I got a little more mature, what would happen is I'd get things done on paper, and then all of a sudden my body would just start instantly morphing into what would have in previous years taken me a few months in the gym or out on the track running or whatever. And I kind of made a little connection like, wow, I think a lot of this is going on internally and it's good to follow through with all the training and everything because it really locks in your neurology so that you own it. But I really was starting to understand by using my body as a laboratory that this is really about your mind, uh, maybe more than anything. And now after watching countless numbers of clients that I had the privilege to oversee their process with what they were going through, uh, I have no doubt because the magic really happens. Again, when you coach them and provide the kind of medicine that I would deliver, uh, but then uh, it, the big changes would happen when, when they really started looking at themselves differently, looking at their role in the world differently, uh, losing levels of fear and all the other things that kept them locked into uh, practices and forms of medicine that were really impeding not only their ability to get better physically, but also impeding their progress at this level of the soul. And... I, I'm a big believer that medicine, like the, uh, the original Pythagoreans who coined the term physician in the first place, it was considered a very sacred act to guide people in this process. And they knew and really went to great lengths to work with the people that they treated to help them understand that all healing comes from within. And not from external uh, mediums. So um, go ahead. That's, a, that's amazing. Yeah, and, and I think for me, the, the martial arts background really helped with that idea in the first place that our thoughts influence our reality. So I was curious because 
you know, of, of my background and just my own selfish desires. Can you provide that specific process in, in how you would do that for football? Would you, would you see your body change and be able to adapt to the, the, uh, the plays or what you wanted to do physically? Like how would that look? Because I have a little bit of a process for skateboarding and athletes and also business people and I'll add these different elements and help them create that clear structure. But I would love to hear yours to see if, if there's anything that I'm missing or can add on. Yeah, I don't know if it's a reproducible technique, but I would live, eat, and breathe every single moment of the waking day just visualizing what I wanted to achieve. Uh, really not understanding that as a technique or something I read in a book or a guru taught me. But I just uh, had an inclination to get a little obsessive about things. I don't know if, if you call it healthy or not. And, um, you know, and, and then I put in my time physically, too. I was uh, out running at the track and, and training and always was the strongest guy on the team and, you know, could win weightlifting meets at the same time and, 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 and all that sort of thing. And it wasn't so much... Uh, performing athletically to win trophies or anything, but it was more just pushing the envelope to see how far I could go. Um, and then there's those, uh, so, so there was that. And I, you know, in hindsight, I realized, well, I was pretty singular in my focus when I wanted to do something. And I also applied that to my studies when I was in my last year of eligibility in college. I was already had my undergraduate degree in pre-law and pre-med, and, and I was already in graduate school uh, in psychology. So, uh, and, and I don't say that uh, pretentiously that I was a smart guy or anything, but I just kind of had that obsessiveness, and uh, which allowed me to, you know, excel academically. And um, so I'd, I'd say first off, to, I don't know if it's answering your question, but uh, just to get your mind around exactly what you want to do. And for me, it was helpful to get it on paper because then I had a, like an architect's blueprint and I would stare at it. Uh, every day I'd look at it and then every day I'd act on it, whether it was a training technique uh, whether it told me, okay, today I'm supposed to go run 440s at the track or, or hit the gym and weights, or after I gave up football, it was like, okay, this time of the day I'm, I'm doing my forms or hitting the bags or, or you know, doing uh, you know, more internal practices, that sort of thing. Um, so uh, that's, that's what my technique was. And I think Again, in hindsight, the reason for all that is so that through my own experience with my own body, uh, I could then apply that into healthcare and maybe have less doubt than somebody who just went through conventional studies, medical studies, and then applied a recipe, whether conventional or, or, or alternative medicine, and really try to bring all the pieces together, including spending a lot of time talking to people and, and really helping people put the therapy, whatever it was, into a larger context 
of, you know, look, I'm coaching. We're giving you tools and here's how they will work the best for you. Now, most people would still be in hopes that they're seeing somebody that could help fix them. But I tended, and as a practitioner, you know, you attract the type of people that are ready to hear what you're saying. And so I did have the luxury of having the cream of the crop, so to speak, which um, came to me and were ready for that message. And rather than having people on 20-minute time slots and that sort of thing, I developed a system in my clinic that allowed me to oversee things uh, and oversee a team where we could do comprehensive therapies, but then I was also allowed to spend ample time with people and even you know, be willing to spend after-hour time on the telephone or in person or what have you just to sit around and shoot the breeze and philosophize and, you know, whatever it took just to kind of create that overall spirit of things. Um, going back to sports, the other thing I'd say that you really can't explain logically, but when you're in the middle of a game, and I used to ex actually experience this more in baseball. Baseball is actually my favorite sport. For some reason, I chose football, you know, to, get me through college. And I, I'd say it's my one regret in life because I love baseball more. But uh, baseball, there's a lot of uh, different kinds of things going on, you know, as, as far as um, uh, just the things that come together to create those little magic moments. And, and when you just get, you know, athletes always call it the zone, and it really is, but you just uh, lose all sense of time and space. And then these unbelievable things happen that after you just go, wow, that was so cool. I can't believe that happened. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's what really brought it all together and, and made all the training and all the, the other things that you go through. And, you know, you push yourself pretty hard when you go into advanced athletics. And I played on a good level college team, you know, we're nationally ranked and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we played the best of the best, and most of the guys all ended up NFL and, and so forth. So, you know, it, it allowed me to really test my mettle against good people. And, and then even in football games, uh, the, the just times where there's no time left on the clock and, you know, all hope is lost, and then just this freak thing would happen, and, and then you end up winning. And, and uh, you know, those are just those really cool times. And, and I really think sports and athletic training, martial arts training, because you're taking your physicality within the simulation, pushing it to the limits. And with team sports, I like both team and solo sports. I really appreciate martial arts because it's just me. But then team sports, it was fun to get in this collective consciousness in those moments where those special times would happen. And then you had these people you know, and, and we'd come together, we'd, we'd live with each other, we'd partied with each other, uh, people of, uh, from all cultures and races and walks of life. And, uh, you know, it was just uh, the perfect equal playing field where you didn't see anything other than each other's humanities and appreciate each other for who you were. And, and you really enjoy special moments. So again, I'm speaking uh, as an old jock, but uh, I learned a lot through training, you know, physically. 
um, you, you might need to rein me in a little bit. I think I got away from your question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. That was, that was great. Well, what I really loved was yeah. uh, your answer and just saying that you wrote it down and then you became obsessive. There's no magic formula in that. You know, there's a lot of great studies and evidence and education on the law of attraction and positive mental attitude and all of those types of things and affirmations. But if you just boil it down to figuring out what it is that you want, so it's clear, you can understand it. You know what I mean? This is exactly where I'm going. And then, you know, you went obsessive with it and you maybe don't need to go obsessive, but if you put an 80% effort in or your hundred percent effort. If it's something that's inspiring to you, you're going to put in your hundred percent effort. And there was a podcast recently done with Tony Robbins and Conor McGregor and Conor McGregor was uh, very well known for calling how he was going to win talking about the law of attraction. He wasn't giving a lesson, but he's like, I'm visualizing my shots. This is the way it's going to go. Um, and he did have some losses, but in the podcast, he talked about how he would go to the store and he would imagine what he was going to buy. He would imagine the cars he's going to um, drive. And he actually lived it and had a hundred percent belief before he got there. He was very, very clear in his vision and he even talked about being a two weight, champion before even entering the UFC, which had, I, I think had never been done before. I'm pretty sure he's the first two-weight champ in the UFC, which is absolutely phenomenal using that idea. So I think that the elements that you shared are, are really important. And I'm a huge advocate for sports as well, or some sort of physicality, because there's so much information that can't be explained to the logical mind when you push your body, whether it's running, whether it's sport, whether it's, uh, you can even do it with music, but there's not as much physicality there. It's, a, it's another way music and art, I think is also important, but the physicality for me as well, it's what I've learned most about myself, what I'm capable of, my connection with myself and the understanding of the universe in the simulation, because even from a, a science and physics level, which, you know, astronomically more than me, we get to a point where we know, we know so little of what is actually happening, that there is such a bigger force in mind. And if we can learn to tune in to whatever that force is, we're probably going to have a more enjoyable life experience. So my question back to you is either to comment on that or just talk about like your important tips for human optimization, living a good life. Um, oh yeah, you know, the strategies for, you know, creating an idea, a compelling idea and moving towards a life where people are really fulfilled because when somebody's sick, they don't really, they're like, first of all, I need to be healthy. Once I'm healthy, then I can kind of redirect my life. So maybe you could speak on both. Or The original question was just really, if someone is looking to create a magical life experience, you know, combining the Eastern philosophies of contentment and peace and awareness with the potential and the inspiration to grow towards meaning, fulfillment, and contribution in the world, what have you seen uh, or what information do you have to help and support a person to move in that direction? Sure. I really like to go down the science avenue and real science, not scientism that I had to learn in school. Um, a, a little comment about McGregor, people like that, non-athletes would look at him as just, just a pretentious, uh, uh, brash sort of personality. But you have to understand, especially at the level that he's playing, and at high levels of athletics, what he's doing, and you would understand this yourself uh, with your involvement in sports, you're sticking your neck out deliberately. You're putting the pressure on yourself 
deliberately so that you have to put up. And anybody that operates on that level or any level of, of sport, whether you're out there bragging about it or not, you're putting it on the line and, and, and just brave enough to, uh, you know, dare to fail, so to speak. And I really respect that. And so when I hear a guy like him, he doesn't put me off in the least. I, I get it. I get where he's coming from. I get what he's really trying to do. And, and I respect that very much. So my biggest passion at this point in my life, besides farming, uh, which, you know, we have the farm here and, uh, you know, grow medicinal herbs and things. And most of the time I have my hands in the dirt these days. But real science, I think, is we're absolutely ready for it. Because real science can be understood by a fourth grader. In fact, I would even suggest we'd all be better off quitting school after the fourth grade. Uh, once we get our basic reading and writing skills down, uh, school from that point on really can be a detriment because to learn the truth from that point on, it requires more unlearning than learning the further we go on in school. And that's why a lot of our most learned credentialed people become really the, um, the guardians or the keepers of the gate for the status quo because they've got a lot invested. And even though a lot of the, you know, like in, in science, when you're in physics, you learn the laws of thermodynamics and gravity and, and all these sorts of things that are incongruous and contradict each other all the time. I mean, just gravity alone is, is, is uh, disprovable. And, and the way they come up, you know, like, uh, well, you know, we have formulas, uh, the product of the mass is infer inversely proportional to the distance and all these things to explain gravity, which all has to do with physical mass and that sort of thing. And then later on, they go, oops, there's not enough physical mass to explain how gravity keeps all the things in the solar systems going. So therefore, there must be more mass somewhere. So let's call that dark matter that's, we can't see it or verify it, but it must be there. So they just keep, and, and now they can stay in the same narrative to explain their theory of gravity. And they do this with everything. They just keep coming up with new theories that are out of thin air that contradict, uh, you know, their own basic laws of physics so that they don't have to change the narrative. And then you have these learned people from MIT and, and, and all these places that go along with it. And what's curious about that to me is, is I look at these people and I say, wow, these are smart guys, smart people. Uh, they, they really went through a lot and had high IQs of a certain level to get to the point in life where they are, they're at and, and all their achievements. How can they not just see that it's illogical what they're saying? And, and a lot of what they're saying is disproval, you know, has been debugged. So um, real science can be understood at a very young age that would help us to, by the time we're adults, be able to be very self-sufficient and not need doctors, not need experts to tell us what to do. Uh, in fact, we would have the uh, critical thought um, attributes that would uh, give us an amazing BS meter that 
you know, maybe we haven't been trained in something like medicine, but when a medical expert says certain things, you would just say, well, wait a minute, that's, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't pass the muster of just old, you know, um, traditional logic. Uh, and, and there are systems of logic that, you know, I got the tail end of the old school kind of uh, school um, you know, I didn't go to public schools. I prepped and, you know, went to good colleges and that sort of thing. So I, I got the last uh, part of that training where you're taught, uh, you know, classic trivium, quadrivium logic and, and those sorts of things. And your emphasis was on critical thought rather than memorizing factoids. And so I think we need to get back to that. But going back to people like Walter Russell, when you study his cosmogony of the universe, it's very understandable, but the only difficulty is you have to unlearn everything you thought to be true. So to answer your question, hopefully, I believe that if we had the right information, then it would dispel a lot of the things that create the cognitive dissonance that we all experience when we actually hear the truth intuitively or hear the truth through uh, an alternative teacher, you know, whether it's physics, medicine, engineering, farming, it doesn't matter. And then our mind wouldn't be triggering these old engrams that have been implanted very deeply at a young age, but then even more detrimentally had them linked to emotional responses, which are usually reptilian nine brain responses so that we hear the truth and for a split second you say well that might sound logical but then all of a sudden the dissonance sets in when the built-in trigger mechanism and by the way this is devised very cleverly and purposeful but that's a different story those trigger mechanisms then go off that disallow you to just say, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to investigate this further. But instead, you just turn off the messenger or marginalize or, or demonize the messenger, even worse. So I believe that if we were exposed to this information, then we could apply it. We could start to then hear the truth, start to, uh, and, and then, uh, you know, pragmatically apply that truth in our own lives, have our own experience. And then when that information becomes experience that's what you call knowing like in the uh, internal arts you you know that when you enter certain uh, spaces that things like time and space do you know you do get good glimpses that happen more and more the more you practice where you see through the cracks now you can't explain that to somebody else you can't teach them that you can only give them information and then they have to put it to practice but the information even though it's on the intellectual level i think that's where we need to start and it starts in our schools which of course are avoiding those kinds of teachings like the plague so I think the more people like yourself that are creating, you know, like the wonderful platform that you've created uh, and getting out and allowing dialogues like this to take place. And there's a great awakening happening. 
And by the way, the Great Awakening, uh, you know, you can understand on a larger scale uh, of waveform mechanics as far as how planetary-wise we are going through different cycles and this particular cycle, which can also explain how one element in the earth transitions to another element, um, will also explain how the earth itself is jumping octaves as we speak, which is allowing our species to be subjected to, uh, lack of a better term, cosmic influences, and this isn't new agey stuff, this is real physics, that are awakening us. And the cat's out of the bag, which is why there's so much effort to censor and that sort of thing these days, but it can't be stopped. And so that's also why people like yourself are out um, initiating these types of dialogues, because people right now are thirsting for it. And, and we are right now entering, whether we realize it or not, the age of transmutation. And transmutation starts with each one of us individually, where when we understand the nature of our own thought processes and how they very mechanically create our reality, uh, the more we understand that and apply those principles and experience results, then not only will that be empowering, but that will create a collective shift that will um, initiate the critical mass that we're just about, you know, a hair away from right now, where everybody is going to wake up someday. Uh, and, and, and the average people that you wouldn't even suspect that would entertain such notions are going to say, well, yeah, sure. That makes sense. So go ahead. Yeah, man. Well, I, I definitely agree with all that. And I love how you talk about, well, all of that, but the great awakening. I, I hear that word so often and it's so great to hear you talk about it from a physics perspective and talk about the cosmic influence. You know, I think there's so much to touch on there because, you know, education for me was a real challenging one because I w was resistant to education when I was a kid. And then I started to study persuasion and hypnosis and consciousness and manipulation. And I realized that our education system basically designed is designed to like for you to follow authority. You know, there's all these subtle things in there and, and you tied it into emotion, which is, uh, another element it's like once that's seated in there there's a great quote that says i think it's like uh socrates or, or someone like that but he says uh give me the boy until he's eight and i'll show you the man and you look at our education system and our set of beliefs once they're imprinted around 15 it's really hard even younger it's really hard for people to um to just change and understand from the neuro to from the neurology and their belief systems they're more um they're more, geez, what's the word like? They want to try and keep their belief systems and build on that evidence rather than look at new evidence. Like they just want to compound what they already believe rather than be open to a new belief system, something different, something that might challenge what they already know because it's very, it would be very hard. That's where the cog cognitive dissonance comes in. It would be very hard and it would take a lot of courage for you to get a new piece of information that 
shattered your world that made you rethink something around your core beliefs and it's too possibly emotionally physically um traumatic for them to want to go through that and it's a bummer that our system is set up this way and and you know it has a lot to do with money they talk about science and science departments and universities and all these different things if you would go go against science and there's so many great scientists uh, and I love that you're bringing up Walter Russell. His, his work is so important. And uh, David Bohm as well came up on the podcast before. And these are two people that, you know, I, I don't really have a science background, but I know about them because the great minds that I respect now respected those people. And they took a lot of information from their work. And, and a lot of these people had to really go against the grain and have the courage to put it out there. And the final thing that I'll say that I like that you ended with was that the awakening has to come from you. It has to come from the individual first and then it can seed out to the collective. So the question that I had for you was when you talk about awakening, what does that mean for you? And like, is there a set belief that, uh, that people have, I'm trying to deduce this from like the before and after. So, you know, one of them for me is that an awakened person is they stop their main goal isn't anymore. What can I get? It's more, what can I give? Like you need to get certain things, but they're thinking about contribution. They're aware of their impact on their community and the world. They realize that they are infinite. They're probably not going to die. It's not mandatory, but you've had these spaces doing the inner martial arts and things like that, where you have a very visceral experience that you are connected to everything and your spirit or whatever that is, is going to go on. You don't really fear death in the way that you may have before. Um, I think an awakened person also has the ability to be humble and question their beliefs into, uh, you know, understand something. I learned something called the formula for truth, uh, shout out Corey Herter, a uh, long time ago. And it was basically when someone is, is saying something to you that you don't believe, let's say you believe the earth is round and then there's a flat earther. And I actually applied this versus a flat earth debate once. And I learned so much, but the idea was I didn't resist flat earth. I didn't, I don't really know hundred percent if it's round or if it's flat, like I've heard the science on both, but I'm not educated enough to go test it myself or look at it myself. So anyway, they're telling me about the flat earth and I just listened. I asked a few questions and I listened. And what happened is if you imagine, you know, a zero to 90 degree scale and they're at flat earth and you're at round earth, when you listen and you seek understanding, you're going to find a nugget of information over there rather than defending your point. It doesn't mean that you need to believe what they believe. And I don't believe in flat earth. They didn't convince me, but I was like, that's a very compelling argument. But all of the different ways my mind began to, began to think I had new ideas. I had uh, different perceptions that I had never experienced before. I had, you know, that was increasing my consciousness through seeking understanding rather than seeking being correct. So those are a few of them for me. And I'm just curious if you could speak about some of those belief systems that you think change for an awakened uh, human and an awakened species, and maybe even some of the, the physics of the cosmic influence and, and anything else you want to throw in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Got a little um, <laughs> so uh, first off, um, I would never consider myself awake, whatever, you know, that means to different people. Uh, one thing I can say is that I know I'm asleep. And I think when you can say that, you're over the hump because that's a great level of awareness that when we realize that, oh, we're really not 
getting reported back to us through our senses what we think we're experiencing. And I default back to the physics again, and people like Walter Russell, if you really understand waveform mechanics, you understand a thought-based universe where nothing else can possibly exist uh, except for the compression decentralization uh, cycle of creation. There's two sides that it's like a hydraulic pump that happens simultaneously. One voids, voids each other out every single moment to create the next frame of our existence. And then that stratification on the comp compression side creates uh, you know, our, our sense of time and, and all those other things. So when you understand those mechanics, uh, then you would also appreciate that your senses that you take so seriously, including the extensions of our, the technological extensions of our senses like microscopes and so forth, uh, chemical assays, are still our senses and still an idea in the simulation. And all they can do is simulate and nuance through electrical polarities, waveforms. Uh, in other words, they, they give body to your idea and the whole object, of course, of the experience for the level of the soul is to have a very vivid and rich feedback mechanism that is going to allow you to understand this symmetry or asymmetry of your thoughts, your beliefs that are given uh, birth in the simulation by the velocity of your emotions, because the emotions will also create not only the ability to pop into the matrix, if you want to use that, and, um, but also uh, you know, play with the geometric uh, forces and polarities to uh, you know, help you understand if you're operating on the original patterns and principles provided by nature, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate. I live here. I'm looking out at a beautiful nature here out my window. We're at least 20 miles away from the uh, closest power line. I'm talking to you today by satellite. We turn our modems off when we don't need computer access. So, you know, no cell service. So, you know, you aren't uh, um, subjected to those overlays all the time that prevent you from just naturally repattering with with nature, and so you know, and we live out here for a reason, not to try to escape the real world, but uh, you know, it's just a very pleasant place to be, and and you know, the computer world allows us to do our business and talk to people all over the world every day, and still you know, live this way. So we we have to understand how things work, including what our sensory apparatus really is. And then we won't take it as seriously. So then going back to your internal practices, you realize that, as Walter Russell would explain, you are the fulcrum rather than the two ends of the seesaw that are constantly trying to seek balance with each other. You know, the two polarities, the yin-yang, the, you know, the uh, Asian medicine, they talked all, all about all of this metaphorically. And, you know, after the fact now, I realize what they were really talking about was tonal fields. You know, if you were to talk about the elements and the other metaphors they used uh, as far as the energies that uh, they applied for medicine and, and just in their philosophy, um, you know, earth, 
water, you know, water is, is the, the keynote of D, uh, earth is uh, uh, F sharp and, you know, their actual tonal field. So, and in fact, uh, Sean Han Loon, if you go back to some of the original uh, writings and uh, translations, you realize, oh, these guys were really got it. So when, and I do this to, the, to, uh, do this to this day when I'm doing a formulation with herbs and whatnot. Um, yeah, I, I like to understand that like C60 is 700 times stronger uh, antioxidant, uh, you know, than say vitamin C and all the things, you know, to round back to your question a long time ago of things that researchers found out about uh, uh, C60. But what I really understand, it's about the energetics, you know, what are these herbs representing? What um, archetypes and, and what uh, analogs are they are of, you know, particular uh, cells that comprise different organ systems? And so how can I use those to effectively treat or create a formulation that's going to work on a waveform mechanics perspective, what oriental medicine used to consider energetics, and then also provide balance rather than just robbing Peter to pay Paul, which is what a lot of these nutraceuticals do these days. So, um, you know, you, you made some other, and forgive me, I'm going all over the place again. Uh, you mentioned authority, which is an interesting concept. Because again, when you go back to an understanding of real physics, you understand that there's no such thing as an external authority. It, there's no such thing. It can't be. And any institution or group of people that claim authority, uh, you know, because they write words on a piece of paper and they say this gives us the right to use violence or take things from other groups of people, um, it's really kind of ludicrous when you understand you as the creator of your own universe and your entire reality is comprised of your own thoughts given body by your desire. How can somebody external to your, your universe jump in the mix of things and create in your little area? It, it's impossible. Of course, if we've been systematically hijacked on the mental plane, which is the, the situation we find ourselves in, and we believe that people actually have that authority, then we are going to create their reality. So you always have to go back to how the creative process actually works. Then, um, you know, I went down a lot of rabbit holes, including legal processes and even had some fun adventures with uh, agencies and things uh, as I challenged them and presented them with paperwork because I just had to test it. You know, I didn't want to, you know, be a troublemaker. Well, maybe I, I did a little bit, but, uh, you know, I just wanted to see how things work. So we'd actually go in their system and even the courts and, and these sorts of things. And, and, you know, I learned the paper game and how things are done and that whole thing. And like anything, when you learn you've been deceived, you go through predictable emotional cyclic changes from discouragement to anger to resentment and you know but then you come out the other end hopefully and say 
okay, it was an experience. I, I got what I needed. I don't have to resist anybody because they've now they've got me just as much as when I was ignorant of their whole deception in the first place. And so, you know, it, it, it's a good learning, but then you have to kind of leave that behind because if you're in that struggle, you know, of resistance or anger at the bad guys, um, you have, it's impossible for you to become the fulcrum, which is that stillness that allows you to manipulate the polarities in order to create the symmetry to outpicture what you want to see in your life and what you want to see in the world at large. And the greatest ploy of all is to keep us in the polarities, this side against that side and, and you know, uh, divide and conquer. And, you know, that's why I don't uh, get involved in a political process or any of that sort of thing. And, and it's not, you know, a lot of people will say, well, God, you don't vote. Don't you care? And, and that sort of thing. It's like, well, no, um, we actually care deeply. That's why we really want to understand that true change will only happen when we become the master of our own polarities. And by example, uh, plant seeds in other people that are ready for it. And of course, at the soul level, there are many people right now that aren't even aware in the outer that they are very ready to move on and get off of this uh, polarity consciousness. And it's just a matter of enough people creating uh, you know, uh, 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 enough of a drafting experience that they can fall in behind and we're all playing follow the leader in a way. You know, I, I was fortunate that uh, in my early years, uh, I was taken under the wing of some very special people that were icons from Europe, uh, you know, the, the most renowned uh, teachers, uh, Rudolf Steiner's work, uh, you know, musicology from uh, famous composers from Germany and 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 uh, medical icons from the old school that you know before the baby was thrown out with the bathwater they used Western um, developments in science to augment what had gone on for centuries before and these great minds at that time you know in the early 1900s late 1800s if they were left on their own and people were had free access to all their inventions and teachings and examples, we would have already been experienced a renaissance at this point now that you wouldn't, experience, you wouldn't recognize the world compared to what it is now. So I was fortunate I got the tail end of that and, and, and I drafted them. And now, you know, we just keep paying it forward. And there's a reason why uh, old cultural norms of uh, revering your elders and, and understanding that experience is very uh, important. And for the youngsters to, uh, you know, kind of respect that and learn, uh, now we have 
most of the elders are off in uh, rest homes muttering to themselves or watching television uh, on drugs, you know, pharmaceuticals and, and, and all that sort of thing. So, but, you know, th that's all choice and, and we need to have empathy and try to help those people. But um, more important, we just need to get our message out, realize this is the time, realize there are higher intelligences that have our back and that uh, it's inevitable that things are going to change as soon as we, um, you know, dare to get out there and, and be an example of ourselves, uh, you know, of these principles. So, um, please go ahead, jump in there. Yeah, well, I could go off in a lot of different directions, but I, I think I'm yeah, meandering yeah. Well, a little bit. I, I totally agree. And, and um, I was actually looking up a couple of quotes when you're when you're speaking there that I think that are relevant. The first one is by Buckminster Fuller, and it says, you never change things by fighting the existing reality to change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And the other one that came to my mind, uh, my friend Bruce uh, shared it with me this weekend. We were doing a teaching with a Native American elder friend of mine who has a 20,000-year oral history. And this includes his elders teaching him about physics, math, engineering, put balloons in outer space for frig's sakes. And uh, is sharing similar things to what you're voicing here. And when we talk about history, and I'm trying to relate to him, um, you know, his history is so different. He's just like, what you're sharing with me is like, a blip. It's like, you know, mine's 20,000 years. This is you trying to share with me what you understand of 200 years. So it might be a little bit mind blowing for you. Um, and, and a lot of it is very, very mind blowing. Um, but one of the quotes that, that Bruce shared this weekend was, uh, we must learn to reawaken and keep ourselves awake, not by mechanical aids, but by an infinite expectation of the dawn, which does not forsake us even in our soundest sleep. I know of no more encouraging fact than the unquestionable ability of man to elevate his life by a conscious endeavor. It is something to be able to paint a particular picture or to carve a statue and so to make a few objects beautiful, but is far more glorious to carve and paint the very atmosphere and medium through which we look, which morally we can do to affect the quality of the day. That is the highest of arts. And when he, and that's uh, Henry David Thoreau. And when he read that, I was like, that's such a power. That guy knew how to write. That is some good stuff there. And it talks about the, you know, when you're talking about the balance. And that's what, that's what it made me think about. There have been so many amazing people in the history of our planet. And if we could just listen to what they said and also look at their lives and what they created. Um, for instance, people always remarked about Walter Russell and asked him, and, and, and all the, the greats of his time, you know, your Mark Twain's and Tesla's and Edison's, they in royalty in Europe, they all wanted to be around him. And, and it, isn't it interesting that we've never heard of him? At least most people haven't. And then Tesla, of course, people know that name a little bit, but then they link it to an electric car or something, you know. Um, but if we just listen to these people, you know, everything we're talking about today is no secret. It's, it's, the, it's the oldest stuff that's been under our noses from all time. Uh, even, um, you know, more of a conventional 
scientists like Einstein even said, you know, you can't fix, I, I think it, he's the one that uh, this quote comes from. He said, you can't fix something from the same box that the problem was created. And when you understand waveform mechanics, you understand our entire simulation is the box. And the only possible way we can create from outside the box is again to enter that stillness, become the fulcrum, and then become more masterful, just like any artistic endeavor and painting exactly what you want uh, with the paintbrushes of the two polarities. And we could go into such fantastic detail as far as how that actually outpictures with the electrical forces. It would explain uh, that yes, there is a higher intelligence in the universe uh, and things didn't just explode one day and create all the laws of natural laws and everything in one single instant uh, as a grand oops. Um, there is, uh, you know, uh, an omniscient, omnipresent intelligence. Uh, we are coordinates within that unified force field, if you want to talk about it, uh, as part of the larger mind, not in a Borg sense, but in, uh, uh, you know, having the ability to individualize and create as we wish as long as we obey natural principles and not uh, that disobedience is good or bad. It's just that that will create havoc and interfere with the processes of other sentient beings. So it's just really not a nice thing to do. So we have the ability to create as we wish, and but you can't do it from inside the sim simulation which is why there have been great efforts for centuries to hypnotically make us believe that we are, we are the simulation rather than the, you know, like saying we are the painting rather than Leonardo out here actually doing the creation. You know, you can't find Leonardo in the painting, just like you can't find your mind, your sentience, within your bank account, within the flesh of what you think of as your body, it doesn't reside there. And when you get a glimpse of that, of course, you really do lose the, uh, the fear of death because you understand that, oh, I am eternal and these cycles come and go. And Walter's cosmogony also explained how reincarnation which happens to be what most of the world believes in in the first place, um, really is how things work. And it also explains how when we really have our wits about us, we can take one particular cycle. And this is what we have unique to humanity versus the animal kingdom, is we have the ability to maintain a polarity uh, to maintain a north-south-east-west symmetry by proper uh, emotion and thought to the point where while we're still in the simulation, we can jump to the next octave. And um, 
you know, that gets into some other belief systems that'll step on a lot of toes. But if we believe that our whole soul purpose here is to be like, you know, an apple tree I'm looking at out in my orchard here, um, that comes and goes with the seasons and dies every fall and, and grows new leaves and fruit the next year. And that's just the whole of our experience. Well, that would be, you know, really kind of a finite, non-purposeful existence. And obviously, we're here to gather enough steam so that we can take ourselves out of quarantine, so to speak, and uh, trust ourselves to be masterful enough to create in pure regions of consciousness and, uh, you know, really let it rip and, uh, you know, have a good time like we're supposed to. There is nothing, I believe, that was ever part of the original plan that this was supposed to be the school of hard knocks. And so, again, what we need to do is start teaching real science so that the heart and the mind can be unified and that humanity can realize its next cycle of experience, which is inevitable, and it's going to happen with or without us. Uh, you know, whether we have to go kicking or screaming and, or, or just go along as uh, willingly as a, you know, a participant in a grand adventure, which is, you know, as crazy as things are out in the world these days, I wouldn't miss it for anything in the world. This right now is, is a real pivotal time on the planet. And so, yeah, that's why these dialogues, I think, are important uh, just to start looking at things from an entirely different perspective and to just dispel the superstitions so that we can get on with things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I a hundred percent agree on that. And you were speaking about, I think, you know, higher civilizations and influences and, and keywords that I'm definitely aware of. So I think you're in, in that bush that I like to go in because I like to explore the idea of, um, just everything, you know, what are the limits of consciousness? What's the limit of reality? Uh, what's the purpose of life? What's happening here? And the biggest questions we can ask ourselves. And I think that we are living in some of the most exciting times in history. This is a very interesting time. It's a very pivotal time. And this is a time when you matter. If you are hearing, if you're alive, you matter now. You, you are very important to what happens as a whole, you're influencing yourself, your community, and the entire world through whether you want to call it butterfly effect or whatever. I think that every human being here matters, and it's challenging because a lot of people are going through a rough time, and a lot of people are uh, frustrated, and a lot of people are suffering in many different ways, and it can be challenging. Um, I would love to dive deep with you on all these things. So I think we're going to have to do another podcast because we've been going for quite a bit. <laughs> what I want to ask you, and I'm going to throw a whole bunch of things your way and feel free to uh, give a good rant on it. But, um, you know, what's your view on the higher intelligences? What do you, what do you mean when you say that? Like, um, is it your view that there are, there are different species uh, here or we're in connection with, with some sort of higher intelligence? Um, I'm, are you fulfill, uh, familiar with the zoo the zoo theory, the it's uh, I don't it's, think so. It's a theory about extraterrestrial life that I was that I was uh, res was told to research by uh, my Native American friend, and it basically said that um, if there is a higher intelligence, 
viewing, you know, earth, that it would just be, you know, you have to let them be in their own environment, basically like Star Trek rules. Like you don't want to influence that situation that's happening that they're just kind of observing and watching, but not wanting to influence too much kind of similar to maybe what you were saying before that it's just like, because it's like the Fermi paradox, right? Why are there so many, we know of mm-hmm. so many planets uh, that the, the, what was I listening to? I was listening to, um, uh, I think it was Chariots of the Gods. And in that book, he just does an estimation. They do a scientific estimation with Carl Sagan and a bunch of other um, scientists and physicists. And they do a low number of planets that could have intelligent life and intelligent life that's beyond ours. And that number is huge, just within our solar system, let alone outside our solar system. So And if you look at ancient civilizations and you do that kind of research, it really does require a new way of thinking about history. It's a lot older than we think, you know, modern science says it's 6,000 years, I think is like civilization, the first like primitive man. But we now the the, uh, Graham Hancock was talking about the Denisova cave and all these other artifacts and, and all this Graham Hancock has just such a great uh, library of information to research on your own where we're getting proof that our civilization is older and he's getting it from other scientists, but he's the one who's kind of popularizing it and bringing it to the forefront. So um, that requires a whole new model of the planet. So I'll give it back to you to share your views on any of that. And uh, yeah, we'll just start with that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) There's amazing like Hancock and uh, archaeologists and and, and especially in Russia, there's been a lot of historians that have even uh, pretty much laid out a good case that our whole history has been manipulated and and entire historical cycles that didn't even exist were thrown in and the whole time cycle has been manipulated. Uh, There's a whole time clock that uh, is manipulated to take us out of our natural cycles. Um, you know, when you're talking about extraterrestrials or life on other planets, the first thing I think we need to look at more seriously is that when we're inspecting through our present level of science and extrapolating through those findings what might be elsewhere, we're still doing it within a sense consciousness and technologies that are extensions of that. So it's really not going to give you a true understanding of other life forms that are alive and well everywhere in the universe that are operating in a different octave. Now, people uh, typically talk about it as far as dimensions. I'd say, you know, going at it in a little more of a systematic way, if you think of it as octaves. So if you're operating, say, on an octave beyond the fifth, where we presently are, and you're trying to discern things with fifth octave technologies, they aren't going to show up. You, You don't have the equipment to even go there. Um, you know, earlier you were talking about flat earth versus globe heads. Uh, I don't get involved in that one either. I'm not a flat earther, but I think 
they bring up some very interesting points. And one thing I wholeheartedly agree with them is everything we've uh, learned from NASA is all uh, cartoons. And, um, and, and that's very demonstrable. So they've got that right. And, and, and I, you know, they kind of jump to some conclusions that are a little, you know, I, I might not agree with. But then, you know, the, the conventional uh, system of, uh, uh, you know, what we would think of as, as far as the uh, heliocentric model of the universe. Well, when you understand waveform mechanics, you're going to understand solar systems and planetary bodies in terms of pressure zones, which would also explain gravity. Uh, it would also explain how things are maintained in space, even though there's no space. Um, you know, if you understand the life cycle or the creative cycle, every body is simultaneously in its expanded decentralized version at the same time it's in its smaller compressed data cycle where you know it registers to our senses and our technologies so things areas that we call space are just the um more the decentralized dispersion of data that is existing all time so there's no such thing as space but when you understand how all these forces are working you would also uh, you know, have you could come up with some good educated guesses as far as the intelligence not only behind those but also residing in those different octaves right now as we speak. Now, just going back to what we can verify on this planet within the simulation, a lot of those brilliant scientists have proven that no, there's been civilizations on this planet for a long time. And humanity, uh, I believe, from what I've seen, has been here in a very uh, conscious, high conscious state for over 4 million years. And what we consider our history is a little flash in the pan that's also been greatly manipulated, so we don't even know that little slice accurately, in order to make us think that we're much less than what we really are. So uh, we've really devolved in a way. But when you look at the larger cycles, you see that when certain cycles are completing, you also necessarily um, have what we think of as our problems kind of come to the surface and become more evident. So a lot of times, that's actually evidence that things are getting better. For instance, when I was in my clinical years and we get these people that were given a death sentence um, and then we do our biotrain medicine and, and all that sort of thing that we haven't talked about today, uh, you would literally manipulate those things to the surface and any good homeopathic knows that it's a process of driving things to the surface so it can be expelled once and for all. And that happens on many levels. So when people were in fact getting better for a while, if you didn't have experience in the technical know-how uh, to manage a clinical case so that people wouldn't succumb during those critical times, uh, you'd swear that things were getting worse, but 
you know, a, a, a seasoned practitioner would say, no, that's just par for the course. And then sure enough, most of the time they come out the other end. So we're seeing that on a grander scale right now, all the things that look like we're, you know, going downhill real quick are actually just all our ills being driven to the surface because that is part of the process that's being provoked by the larger cycles. So a lot of what really changed me early on, and I, this is kind of personal and I even hesitate to go here, but early on, right after I was through with my conventional training uh, in medicine and, and you know, right in between there and naturopathic college, I was already, you know, more than dabbling in martial arts and things. So I was, you know, trying to jump into that world. Uh, but one of my early teachers was from an indigenous culture. And he grew up old school um, where they were chosen at birth, uh, you know, like my vocation and this time around, it's not who I am. It's just my vocation. I spent a lot of time in his medicine and that was his vocation too. But in their culture, they were recognized by the, by the um, elders, you know, that were in that field uh, as, oh, this soul, this is what they came in uh, to do. And if you understand how they were able to do that, it would make perfect sense and it wouldn't seem metaphysical or, or woo-woo in the, in the slightest. So um, he was in his 90s in the last year of his life and I spent a good deal of time with him in that final year. And he was, he was in good health and everything, but you know, before he went, he just two weeks prior just said, okay, I'm out of here. And, uh, and then he did in fact leave. But during that time period with them, I did have experiences that uh, forever uh, made me reevaluate what I thought was real. And initially, some of those experiences were actually a little disturbing. <laughs> and, um, be, you know, uh, because your ego has a tough time uh, when you kind of realize that some of the things that you thought were of import or things that were who you are aren't necessarily true. So right then you start a, a very definite process of ego death, which is why not everybody embraces a lot of what we're talking about today because it can be uncomfortable. It can be disturbing. But I did have that experience and he also did do some regression with me where I was able to experience some different times and places. We'll just leave it at that. So then when you have an experience such that, and, and this isn't a special experience. I have talked to so many people that have had similar experiences. So what I'm talking about is not pretending to have anything special or it, it's, it's actually should be a normal experience. And the only reason why everybody doesn't have such encounters or, or, or adventures like that is because, um, you know, on some level, they're maybe just a little bit resistant. And, uh, but I think a lot of people are seeking that these days. Uh, they're seeking it through psychedelics, you know, try to address that little thing with, the, uh, you know, ayahuasca and, and different psychedelics, uh, microdosing with psilocybin. You know, I'm not uh, at all against that. And I really believe that done properly, those things can be of value. 
uh, tremendous value, but it's a double-edged sword because if you overstay your welcome or even think that that's the path to enlightenment, then you're back in the same old box again. So, um, and, and what I see going on a lot in those circles is, oh, that is going to enlighten me rather than just saying, well, maybe, you know, my, uh, my inner voice is saying that would be a good little measure to kind of have a neurological reset and, and then move on and, and not overstay my welcome then, you know, that's for up to every individual to decide. Um, but we all get our own experiences and whichever way they come for with what, whatever we're ready for. And um, I'll, I'll finish with that. Yeah, well, well, that's a really grounded perspective on the psychedelics because uh, it's come up a lot in my podcast and, and in my life I've, I've gone that way. And there's a quote by... I don't know if it's Alan Watts or somebody, but he's just like psychedelics are like knocking on the door. Like once it's answered, you don't need to keep knocking. And so, you know, (laughs) and it's not the be all and end all. It's an experience that can help shift you or, or inspire you or give you a piece of information to continue the journey, continue like the, the consciousness um, of everyday experience like that should be the consciousness we're spe- we're seeking because it's so magical and wonderful we just kind of forgot and we got really serious and we're skewing our own perspective and it can be challenging but i i hope that those experiences are reminders that hey you do have a connection to something greater than you you do have the ability to influence your life to a great degree to um, create a life that you're proud of and it's going to take some work it's not an overnight process there's going to be trials and tribulations and failures and that's a part of it there's no skipping steps and uh, nobody gets to skip those and you also have that really direct connection with spirit you know that's something greater whatever you want to call it and uh, I'm glad that you shared the experience with the uh, the indigenous, because one of my, my main teachers, I talked about him a couple of times. I talked to him, talk about him all the time on the podcast. Uh, David Lone Bear Senapass is a Mi'kmaq elder. And, uh, he's told, I've experienced some really out there stuff with him. Um, I've shared it on the podcast before. It was like, after we had our first podcast episode 53, I called him on the phone and I asked him, I said, Hey, is what you're saying to me true? Or are you a native American storyteller? Um, saying things so we're kind and compassionate to each other because these are great stories. He's like, I am a storyteller, but the ones that I told you, you can ask me for sure if you missed it, but those experiences happened. I was 26 years on a mountain. I was taught by elders, all these things. And I was like, whoa. And he's like, I could bring you in a tunnel to where I am right now. And I was like, what? And he's just like, do you need me to? And I was like, I thought it was kind of like spiritual candy or something where like, if I didn't have faith, I couldn't go. So I was like, you don't have to, but it'd be really cool if you did. And so he goes, okay, look at the sky tonight. You may or may not see something. And I was at Arco Santi, this sustainable village in Arizona. I was at a lower level and it was like pizza night for like the, the a lot of people that live there. And I forgot about it. Then I start walking up to where I'm staying and there's a star super bright, about 50 feet above Arco Santi. My friend has a drone. So I was like, you got to give reality a chance, but this thing is super weird. 
I run up the hill, I go to the right, I follow it with my eyes the whole time, goes across the road, and it's brighter than the North Star, and it's just across the road, and it's pretty low. And I'm looking at it, and I was like, what the heck is this? And uh, so then, with all my infinite wisdom, I decide to ohm and bring it closer, you know, because that's how you communicate with something you don't understand. And uh, it starts getting closer and closer and closer, and probably 50 feet away, if that, 50 feet in the air, if that, it was just, it looked... Um, I actually have one of his original drawings and it's a triangle with these waves around it and he calls it the we're all connected through uh, strands of light and so or the Freemason symbol if you look at the Freemason drawing that they have and it's really thin lines that's what it looked like but mm -hmm. it also would shift to what looked like Star Trek you know that symbol that they wear on their yeah the symbol that they wear it kind of would shift into that shape and it was this pulsing orb and i was close enough to see it and i have it on film you can look up ufo orb at arco santi it's on my youtube it's a crappy video because it's night um but i stared at this thing for 40 minutes when when it was that close i got afraid it backed up and then it got closer. And then after 40 minutes, I was kind of bored. So I figured I'll try to meditate and communicate with the thing. And uh, I tried three times. And in the, in the last time that I looked back, um, this star, this orb, whatever it was, just disappeared. And, um, you know, I call him up the next day and I was like, did you have anything to do with that? And he's like, maybe, you know, they never. And I also wrote a book, I read a book called Mad Bear. And uh, it talks about uh, a man following a native american and some of the mystical things that happened but not he would never glorify he never talk about it just every now and then through being around something it, wild would happen and the last story i'll share is going down to guatemala to the mayan fire ceremony with the mayan elders and i've had carlos barrios on my podcast several times and uh, i i went down there to visit him to meet him in person to get some teachings to you know, learn, learn more. And he shared one of the stories when he was younger going to, I think he was in Egypt and I can't remember why, but he was, he was in a group, he was invited somewhere with the Sufis with their spinning circles. And he said that he was in this room and he was observing them do the circles. And then a few minutes in, they were three feet off the ground. And I was like, what? And he goes, that's the face I made, but bigger. And so that's when I realized that, that my teachings that I was getting glimpses of um, in the Mayan culture were real, that there was validity to this. And that was the path that he was on to wanting to experience those things. So, um, and again, like you said, it's not to be something mystical and magical, which it is when you think about it and you experience it. But the more you understand it, there's actually a scientific principle behind it. And just like in Star Trek, it'll talk about, you know, if, if a civilization comes to work to earth with technology that's so far advanced, they're going to think that they're gods or it's mystical. They just don't have the scientific understanding of it. And from my knowledge of, studying with the elders, doing my own practices, talking with physicists and everything in between, that it, there is some sort of scientific principle to the paranormal that we are just not aware of now. And we're, we're just in a veil of either ignorance or not understanding. So I just wanted to share all that. And if you wanted to share one of your stories, not depressed, you can. And if you want to just end it with anything that you wish that I'd asked, that you'd want to talk about, but I just appreciate everything that you shared, uh, your experiences, your knowledge, your intention, and uh, for coming on the show. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a delightful conversation. I've enjoyed every moment of it. 
Um, I, I'd say the, the, the only thing I could add to that is, um, you know, rather than talking about phenomena and, you know, people always want to know, well, what have you experienced and, 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 and can you do this? And, and that's really not the point. And, and those are, you know, great questions and they can be fun discussions. But the point is, is really helping us understand that there's no such thing as special people, more evolved people. It's only what we're ready for. And I'd say our language is very important because the way we embody our thoughts in this plane most powerfully, most powerfully is with sound. And words have great import in that they articulate sounds in, in very precise ways that involve mathematical uh, sequences. They um, involve belief systems, emotions, and, and everything in those sounds. And if we understand how powerful words are, we'd really start cleaning up, I think, our language, starting with spiritual, because the word spiritual really connotes that, okay, now there's something that's not spiritual or non-spiritual. And so when people say, well, I'm having a spiritual experience or I'm on a spiritual path, I would just ask, well, what is in spiritual? Everything we experience is from the same origin. And that same origin is simply refracting electrical forces in a myriad of uh, dimensions on every waveform to nuance into very precise uh, locations and, and adventures and, and, and phenomena and appearances of not only matter, but motion. So if we understand that that is all a product of us and our creative abilities, then we would once and for all end this schizophrenia that we're all suffering from that there's spiritual, non-spiritual, where I'm going to my job today, I'm going to church today, so today's a spiritual day, yesterday was something different. And, and I think that's what's happened to all of us now is we're extremely schizophrenic. And in the world of science, rather than going back to the origin, which is us, and understanding that we have a lot to say about our experience, we're instead delegating all of our inspection to the world of effects. And then when we try to fix problems from the after effects of those forces, those primal forces that we put in motion in the first place and, and try to come up with solutions, what we're endeavoring to do is through minutia that we can't even see the relationships between in the first place, trying to re-engineer our way back up to some point where we're going to somehow fix things, it's not going to happen. So examining the world of effects is, is a lot of fun, and I enjoy that. That's why I like to engage in medicine and science and that sort of thing. But if you don't understand where things come and us as a progenitor of everything and our 
um, free will and, and just the privilege of creation in the first place uh, that allows us to have this experience, uh, we're never going to get anywhere because you're back in the same box. And so science, medicine, uh, when we finally get to the point of merging what used to be considered metaphysics and study the people that were the missing link that now allow old school metaphysics to become real physics and that also teach us to operate as a whole. It's, it's very uh, trendy today to use the term holistic. And, you know, while we're using that term, we're still got a, a great chasm between the intellect and the heart and, and not really coalescing the two so they operate as one unit that would allow us to be masterful in our creations, not create further havoc and suffering in the world, and uh, you know have a lot more fun while we're at it. And in addition to the scientists out there that really get into the physics and the mechanics of things, there's just wonderful people these days that are living examples of people just that are passionate about life, uh, uh, sharing their experience with the world. Uh, you know, people, I love people like Wim Hof, you know, who's just this guy that's out there uh, leading the charge. And, you know, he's, you know, he's really not coming from ego. He's just having a great time and he's discovered some things and, and, and he's sharing them. And, and just when you're around people like that, you know, just their enthusiasm, their, their joy for life, their unconditional love for their fellow humans is uh, really catching. And we need more of that. We need to get out of our minds, get our feet and our hands back in the dirt. Uh, like Wim Hof says, you know, uh, you know, I've got a great swimming hole down there that comes out of pure bedrock. And even in the middle of the hot summer, it's ice cold. So you, I do my breathing exercises and jump in and, you know, and stay in the frigid water and, and you come out, you're exhilarated and, and, you know, I have people like that to thank that kind of led the way and said, hey, here's a technique I, I uh, you know, have developed and through my own experience. And then I subjected my own body to scientific scrutiny. And, and this is what they found that's happening on the cellular level. And we live in a wonderful, wonderful time. And if we stop paying attention to what we think of as our problems, and that doesn't mean a Pollyanna approach where we ignore things or, or suppress things that are going on, but actually pay attention to what these other people are telling us. Not only would we have a lot more fun, but in that would be the solution. And our problems would vanish very quickly. But uh, that's what we need to do is just get more people engaged in life rather than problems and, and understanding who they really are and what their true purpose is in the first place. Well, well, that's amazing. This whole show has been, been very fascinating, very deep, uh, very thick on the science that parts, but also very practical. You know, I think that your background and your experience and your history is, is all very valid and it's all very important for people to understand that the views that you're coming to are through, through a lot of, 
um, trial, error, study, science. It's and, and you're talking about very simple concepts that everybody can understand. Everybody that can listen, that has listened, can can take those ideas today. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for everything that you're doing. You have an incredible website with incredible products that I know that you make. You you haven't talked about them at all, but you've done a lot of research on these to create them. So if people want to look at your work, what you're putting out there in the world, they want to dive deeper, where can they go to find out more? Our website is alphavedic.com. It's A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. And the products, um, you know, they do represent, uh, you know, good products that we've created that people can use and benefit from. Uh, more importantly for us, they represent what we've learned along the way and what we'd like to share through those products. And also, um, they are part of a sustainable permaculture model. My wife and myself uh, have uh, uh, overseen and started a, a permaculture guild in our area. Uh, we work with a Northwestern University and teach outreach uh, programs in agriculture. We're teaching uh, people uh, of low-income groups how to grow their own food and create their own food banks. And uh, we, we provide the materials, the space, and the teaching uh, to empower people in this way. And we have a working farm. And uh, part of permaculture being self-sustainability and, and uh, just sustainability for future generations, uh, business should be part of that so that we don't have to seek government grants or outside revenues that would have strings attached or skew our original purpose in the first place or get us unnecessarily involved in somebody else's creation. So it allows us to have a pure permaculture model, not only in growing good nutrient-dense food, which is not what organic food does, by the way. That's another whole discussion we could have. But nutrient-dense food, where you uh, manage the soil according to its electrical properties so that you're fine-tuning the resistance uh, resistance, resistance levels in the micronage of the soil so that the roots will uptake things very efficiently without the need of even a lot of organic fertilizers and also uh, grow nutrient-dense food that organic food, albeit cleaner and it's preferable, uh, organic food is not nutrient-dense food that you're buying in the health food store these days. But more importantly, these practices are allowing us to actually build new topsoil for future generations, whereas uh, large-scale organic farming is doing what conventional farming is doing, which is destroying topsoil, and we're about out of it. So that's our real passion these days. That's why we have a business arm that provides the revenue to sustain our whole operation and do all the things that you know float our boat. Amazing. Well, it sounds like we could cover a whole bunch of a whole bunch more topics, especially around, um, you know, the outreach and, and helping people create food and uh, nutrient dense food. That's definitely another topic as well. And, and uh, 
yeah, organic. I'm aware of the fringes of all that. So I can understand that what you're doing is very, very important. So thank you for that element as well. Thanks for coming on the show. And did you say your website? Did I blank on that? What's your, what's your website? I did, alphavedic.com. Awesome. Okay, well, Dr. Bear, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. Matthew, thank you and for everything you're doing. Uh, awesome, awesome work. I appreciate you, man. Well, thanks everybody for watching. We'll see you in the next episode. All right, guys, that wraps up that absolutely phenomenal episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Check out Dr. Bear's work. He's amazing, alphavedic.com. He's got some really interesting stuff over there, some uh, coffee substitutes, which I'm always curious about because I do drink coffee, uh, and, and I don't want to drink too much of it. Um, but C60, he's a gardener. You've, you've, you've been on the show. You've listened to the show. Like, holy smokes, um, this guy is a world of knowledge. So um, if you want to support, please take a screenshot. Tag me at Matt Belair. Tag Alphavedic. Let us know where you're listening. If you have any questions, leave a review on iTunes, support on Patreon. All of that helps immensely and is so appreciated. Thank you guys very much. For those of you guys who are interested in some coaching, some training, anything along those lines, some speaking, hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com, and we can figure that out. Um, I should probably make a podcast email, but I try to keep it all in one spot because it is a lot of work for one human being to do. So I appreciate you guys and the support support. Um, I hope that you're having an amazing day. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah. So wherever you are in the world, I invite you to pause for a moment to take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling yourself with joy, peace, contentment, empowerment, energy, confidence, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.